Welcome to episode 138 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe, co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, we were wrong at the end of last episode. We thought we were going to be doing a Disney episode today. Oh, you you teased me so much. <laughs> but I, I had our timing off, so we're still Did doing... Did you know you could hit the end of notes on your phone? Because you can when I talk about <laughs> Disney. <laughs> Apple just said stop. Yeah. You can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're doing just a normal episode on uh, on Static Shock this week, and then next week will be an episode on uh, kind of Disney Plus. Yes, that that post Thanksgiving treat. Exactly, everyone's still you know that, that final little out. yeah bit of dessert. <laughs> uh, but no, we we got some good episodes this week. I was not expecting Sons of the Father, which is like a really important episode mm-hmm. in Static Shock, to be so early on in the run. I, I, I remembered it was season one, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty early, and it's. Both these episodes this week, we're, we're seeing the other side of this series of like they're tackling very important issues. Yeah, and doing a really good job with it. And we mm-hmm. will, we will of course, be getting into that shortly. But first off, we have some news. We have some catch up news too. We do. We, we're, we, we're two we, weeks back. Yeah, we had. How a couple, are you, Chris? I'm good. I'm, I'm doing fine. Still super tired, working yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. You? About the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We haven't seen each other in, in about two weeks. So it's, it's, it's actually, it's very rare for us yeah, to have that much time live apart. Catch up, yeah. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What have you been, uh, what's been, what's been tickling your fancy this week? In terms of news? Yeah. Well, was well, that a segue <laughs> or <was> that... <laughs> Yeah. For, for news. I was like, uh, on a personal level, sleep has yeah. been tickling my fancy when mm-hmm. I get it. I finally got a really good night's sleep last night, which I haven't had for almost Feels a month. good, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, I went out Friday night. I didn't have that much to drink, but like, I didn't go to bed till two, and then I woke up at six a.m. Saturday morning, Ew. and I could not fall back asleep. And I was like, I need more than four hours mm-hmm. <laughs> to function. And last night, I got a good, probably solid eight, eight plus. Didn't yeah. wake up to have to pee in the middle that's, of the night. That's doctor's recommendation. Yeah. Do you have to get up to pee all the time now in the middle of the night? I mean, you say now like something changed. That's just always been. <laughs> okay. Like I used to always sleep through the night and then now I pretty much always have to get up. But I feel like people in their 50s talk about that being a thing or later. Like I wasn't expecting that after 30, all of a sudden now I just have to take pee breaks yeah. in the middle of the night. Well, I've talked about my crows. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. The, yes, the crows the, that are always waking you up. Yeah. Quote the raven, never, <laughs> never sleep. I mean... It would be tempting to like try and take one of them out, but they remember. Exactly. That's always my thought. Yeah. It's like, I can just get a slingshot. Can, They're so close to my window. Can you trick a neighbor? Knock, knock, knocking at my, at my window door, <laughs> at my window sill. Can you like trick someone else to try and take them out for you? Like go up a level and like pull my slingshot out at the people above me and then mm, sneak back down? I mean, it all depends how to crows remember people. Is it by sight? Or is it by location? Smell, location. We don't know. Is yeah. it some sort of weird echolocation? That we so I'll, I'll break in, douse myself in whatever cologne or perfume the people yeah. above me have, pull out my slingshot. I'm not going to harm the birds. I'm just going to scare them. Here, here's what you do. Uh, yeah, buy yourself a balaclava and some really strong axe body spray. Yeah. <laughs> Go a floor up. Mm-hmm. Hit one of them with a slingshot. Yeah. Maybe just from the roof. Maybe I'll just... Oh, yeah. yeah. Can you get on the roof? I don't think so. Oh. Well, then but I can, I can get anywhere. <laughs> okay. I'm an agile young man. That's true. You can make it happen. Well, I, I hope you succeed in your, Thank you. your endeavor to kill the crows, and I'm hoping I stop having to pee all the time. 
but that's what's tickling my fancy personally in terms of what's going yes. on in entertainment. It's good to know life news sometimes. Yes. <laughs> that was very rude. What's tickling your fancy, Cameron? What's happening in your life? Oh, you know, well, there's this new trailer that came out. <laughs> Uh, but no, I had forgotten about this. You remind me right first while recording about the, the Harley Quinn trailer. So the full mm -hmm. trailer for the series coming to DC Universe. This End of December, this month. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. in a matter of days, basically, at this point, almost. It looks really good. It looks really good. I, I'm trying to remember. Were we skeptical about this when it was You first were. Since? You oh, were very okay. skeptical. Because the, the first tra trailer we got last year before Disney Plus launched. No, sorry. DC Freudian, Universe. Freudian I, I understand. I had yeah. to correct my. I almost said Disney Plus. Oh, um, DC Universe. Before it came out, we did have that like that oh. minute long trailer of her sitting in the jail cell. Oh, and you yeah. Were, you were worried it was like, oh, it's going to be just like very offbeat, crude humor, uh, and it still kind of is. It is, but based on this trailer, it's deployed well. Yes, and and also now we have uh, a rough idea of the plot. Yeah, where it's not going to be like. A silly sitcom, which I think is what it was pitched as. Yeah, maybe. Um, and it, it could still be that way. But now we know kind of the overarching story is uh, Harley is trying to get into the Legion of Doom mm -hmm. uh, and, and kind of trying to up her cred as a villain. It looks it's, super fun. Yeah, that, that's such a great idea. And that's, that's yeah. a very fun play, especially for that character to play in. Yeah. Well, because it's a fun concept because it's her having to just constantly escalate her own life. Mm -hmm. It's already very heightened character, just having to like go more extreme places. Yeah, and I'm hoping, because we've, we've had a few conversations about this, because I remember talking in BTOS about the the schedule of villainy, mm -hmm. of like what villain has what day of the week in Gotham. Oh, that's right. Yeah, do they and, ever coordinate? <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that like with Quinn trying to become this new force in Gotham, like she starts stepping on other villains' toes, yeah. and they kind of have, like Penguin comes over, is like, hey, we need to talk. Yeah. It's like, I know you're trying to get into the game, but like banks, banks are my thing. Yeah. Uh, art museums, that's Riddler. Science labs, that's Freeze. Like mm -hmm. you got, you can't just take whatever you want. You, we all have our thing. Yeah. You needed to find a thing. It's like, well, everything he's taken already. That is the sort of like meta commentary I could see them doing. Mm -hmm. We even see hints of it a little bit in the trailer. Yeah. But it, it like... We just rewatched it before we started recording. It makes me laugh. Like, I laughed. Like, yeah. I laughed just watching the trailer. I, th I think we, we can both say we're more excited for this series than the Birds of Prey film coming out. Yeah. Well, it's just, uh, I feel like Birds of Prey has style but no personality. Mm -hmm. And this show has both personality and style. Yeah. Plus, this show has a great cast. I was always a little bit skeptical about Kaylee Cuoco as Harley just because it felt like a bit of stunt casting. Mm -hmm. But I, I still am conscious of the fact that it's her when I'm listening to the trailer, at least. But she's doing a good performance. Yeah. Um, plus, Alan Tiddick is the Joker. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, because I was listening. Oh, like, what where do man. I know this from? And I looked it up. And then um, I'm just excited, too, because Dietrich Bader is back as Batman. Mm -hmm. And I'm still getting caught up on the Brave and the Bold. And he's so good. He's so good. He, he's like, whatever the voice equivalent of having like a twinkle in your eye is, I feel like that's what he does when he plays Batman. Yeah. Like, there's just something like... I don't know. You feel like he's got like a little like little smile, like a little crook going on as he's doing the lines. Mm -hmm. There's this tiny little bit of fun that maybe yeah. isn't there in other performances. Stop right there. It's so good. He's so good. So I'm I'm super excited for this actually. And it's just around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing for me to watch. Yeah. Fuck. I'm so behind on everything. <laughs> Which is crazy because you are usually really on top. Of I stuff. know. Well, usually like when I'm 
when I'm watching like the the DC stuff, I'll have it on while I'm working. Yeah. Or I'll you know be on my phone doing other things, answering emails and stuff. But we'll talk more about it next week. But with like the Disney Plus stuff specifically, like I want to sit down and focus. Yeah. So I need like a solid hour of nothing else happening. It's hard to find. And that is very hard to find. Yeah. That that's me with um with Watchmen and with the Mandalorian. Yeah. Like I, really- I, I'm very appreciative. I mean, I wish there was more, but that's I'm kind of appreciative. The Mandalorian is only 30 minutes. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. That's my lunch break. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you can squeeze it in real quick. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we'll talk more about that uh, next week. Um, but okay, other things that are happening. Uh, some updates on Black Adam. Oh yeah, tell me about this. Yes, yeah, so you, you didn't catch this, but so they put out a teaser poster, a Jim Lee designed teaser poster. Okay. Which looks really good. Uh, we get a release date now of December 22nd, 2021. I was, I was waiting for like 2036. <laughs> right. Um, and then the the rumor that's circulating, it's not really definitive yet, but it seems like this movie might introduce us to the JSA. So the, the okay. three characters that have been Society. talked about is um, Hawkman, Adam Smash, and Stargirl may make an appearance. Okay. Which is kind of cool. I, I like the JSA. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just watched the Brave and the Bull episode with them. And there's some characters I really like. In there. Like I don't know why I like Our Man a lot. Like I've seen him in nothing basically, but he's just kind of a cool he, idea. He has a character. cool look. Um, yeah, cool look, cool. And of the JSA, I feel like those are kind of the weird people to pull from them because JSA has some great characters. There's some, yeah, there's some big hitters in the JSA. So like, uh, what Black Cat? No, Wildcats. Yeah, me. Wildcats. One of my favorite. I mean, I love because he he's always kind of the cameo character in most of the DC yeah. stuff, and he's. Maybe my favorite cameo character. Oh, he's great in The Brave and the Bold. He's great in JLU. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a great appearance in New Frontier. Yep. Like, because yeah, we got uh, Wildcat, Dr. Midnight. Uh, Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate? Oh, I yeah. Love, love Fate, Dr. The, Fate. Uh, the OG Green Lantern. Yeah. OG Flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of wish, I guess also what it comes down to, since I heard this, I'm like, you know what I would rather see? A JSA movie. A JSA movie. And, my my hesitation on this is still the fact that The Rock is the star of it. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, he's hit or miss for me sometimes. When he's hit, he's definite hit. Like, I love The Last Jumanji. Still super excited for the new one. Excited for Jungle Cruise. But I, the, the Jumanji trailer played... I went to the movies last week. Oh, okay. And, so you saw... This, oh, no. I... I put my headphones in and buried my head. Okay, yeah, because there's some really good jokes that <laughs> yeah, you I'm don't like, want to no, spoil I, I don't that trailer. Want, I, I want to just enjoy this one. But... I like him a lot. My one concern is that now whenever he's anything, he's the star of all of it. Like, we've talked about this at length already, that Black Adam... Not Black Adam. No, yeah, Black Adam. Yeah. Should be a supporting character in one of these things, not the central character. And even if they introduce the JSA, they're going to be background characters. And here's another thing that I'm, I'm curious about your opinion on. Mm-hmm. Do you think we finally got a definitive release date on Black Adam because the Joker did so well at the box office. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That is also another concern of mine, mm-hmm. which is I don't think that the the path to go now is to just do solo villain movies from this point on. And this is maybe not going to be solo if they're going to introduce the JSA. Mm-hmm. But the strength of DC has always been in its villains. They haven't found a way yet to capitalize on that. That's what Suicide Squad should have been, and it was a disaster. But I think putting the villains at the forefront, sure, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But making just a bunch of villain solo pieces or villain focus pieces, I'm maybe not super interested mm-hmm. in. But just think of how many of them could kill Thomas and Martha. <laughs> That's true. 
that's the, the running thread yeah. of all of them from now on is that somehow they're all going to intersect that one moment when Thomas and Martha Wayne are shot. Mm -hmm. Well, so then Bruce has to choose, like, who was the one that actually influenced the group. <laughs> so the Batman actually is the real mystery is who really killed Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. Uh, is, is there another Batman villain you would love to have a solo film? Killer Moth. Great choice. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Riddler just because... No, what are we talking about? We want a Condiment King solo film. That's absolutely true. The whole movie is in puns. The, like, yeah. The, so I don't want to see any more origin superhero, like villain Except films, but for the Condiment King. If it were something really wry and meta and self-aware, if it were in even a similar kind of tonal vein to maybe what's going on with the Harley Quinn show, yeah. then I'd be super on board. Like, I think... We have lots of complicated feelings about the Joker. The one thing I can appreciate is doing something that feels really, really different. Mm -hmm. So if they could do that again, if they could do this sort of like weird offbeat comedy, like actual genuine comedy with a lesser Batman villain. And if they set it where all this is like all the reality is actually going on in the background. Like if it were set in a Gotham where Batman exists and all these other villains exist and they're like, um, it's like, you ever that great episode of Buffy? Is it called Zappo? Harpo? I don't know. It's, but it's the one where um, Xander is just focused on him. Like, there's some crazy disaster going in the background, but it's just focused on his own little, like, side quest. Mm -hmm. It's basically the idea of, like, putting the side quest in the forefront of the yeah. story. Oh, yeah. If they did that, I would love it. But that also requires them to have this sort of, like, robust continuity that, say, Marvel has. Like, Marvel could do that now. Yeah. Maybe not as a movie, but like, they could totally do, like, a Disney Plus movie or a disney plus like short run series that's all about just like this random villain that no one takes seriously and i would love to see something like that but that's that's not what we're gonna get let's be mm -hmm. honest i know oh disney plus <laughs> uh we had some more casting news from the batman so we got confirmation that andy circus is gonna play alfred oh i didn't see that one yeah so oh, that's um, good because it was that uh, there was a premiere recently and Matt Reeves tweeted a photo of Andy Serkis running down the carpet and it says, here comes Alfred, the little Batman, oh, little bat cute. logo. It's definitely a different version of Alfred, but I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Mm -hmm. Did you ever read? Wait, so is he going to, is, is it a, a CG, <laughs> is it a CG Alfred <laughs> played by Andy Serkis? That's absolutely true. It's is going, it just Caesar in gonna, a suit? <laughs> they're going to bring back Alan Napier from the original <laughs> Amazing. 60s show, but they're going to have Andy Serkis with the mocap on it. Perfect. It's going to be great. Uh, did, did you ever read Batman, not year one, Batman Earth One? No. So it's uh, Jeff Johns and, oh, fuck. I was going to say Frank Quietly, but it's not Frank Quietly doing the art. Um, Andy Cooper? Uh, it doesn't matter. It's, but it's a good, it's a good story. It's a, a young, new version of Batman going up. And in that version... Alfred wasn't the Wayne's butler. He was Thomas Wayne's like good friend from some sort of armed conflict. Mm -hmm. And he was basically brought in as last minute security for the Waynes because Thomas Wayne was wanting, running for mayor. They're killed. And then the only person left to take care of Bruce is Alfred. And so he basically just lies and says, okay, I guess I'm your butler. But he's a very different role. Okay. He, he's not like ironing Bruce's tights and that sort of thing. Like he's an actual. I think, Does he teach him sock food? He absolutely teaches them song food. Of course. Yeah. Only the best heroes know song It's the first thing they teach the military. Yeah. Well, you got to do your own laundry, all right? You have no one to. else is going to do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you gotta be efficient. There's no time to waste. You gotta get your workout in. You gotta get your combat training in while you're also doing household chores. Mm-hmm. You should see the mop. It's crazy. Oh man. But I, I think, that, I mean, just given that it's Andy Circus who has that sort of like grit to him a little bit. I mean, he has like the polish too. Like he played a butler in um, the Prestige. He was like the like the right hand man to Nikola Tesla in the Prestige. He was. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah, oh, I love that movie. It's, it's Nolan's best. And it absolutely is. You, know what? you can at me if you disagree. I will, yeah. I will have that argument. But with yeah, you. no, Prestige is easily his best film. <laughs> Definitely his best it's, film. It's top five films for me. Yeah, it's amazing. So I could see him, but maybe doing like a bit of a grittier take on it a little bit. So that could be interesting to see where they go with that. And mm-hmm. the other piece of casting was that John Turturro is going to be Carmine Falcone. I did see that one, which I, which is leading more and more into a uh, long Halloween yeah. idea. Because there's still rumors flying around that someone is going to get cast as Harvey Dent. Now, mm-hmm. the, the challenge there is that the Dark Knight already really did their version of that, and they did a pretty good job with it. Mm-hmm. But you can still incorporate some elements of the Harvey Dent angle and the Two-Face angle into a long Halloween adaptation. But if that's, if that's what this is, God, I'm so excited. Yeah. It's the best Batman comic ever written. And I think the casting we've had has all been fantastic so far. Yeah. I feel like um, Andy Serkis Alfred is maybe the only one so far who go like, oh, that'll be an interesting take on the character rather mm-hmm. than, oh, that is that character personified. Yeah, John Turturro is, I'm so excited for him. I love John Turturro. Yeah. I mean, the man's got incredible talent, incredible range. Um, you know, and I feel like... And to think of like how far he's come, because I think it's the same. He, hold on. Let me double check this before I. Are you asking if he's the Jesus from The Big Lebowski? No, because he is. Are you asking oh, if he's is, is he if he's a agent? Was it Simmons or whatever from Transformers? No, he I is. knew that one. I knew that one. Uh, it is uh, Mr. Deeds. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he, that's, he was. Yeah, yeah. I'm sneaky. I'm sneaky. Uh, no, he's fantastic, and I, I, Tom Wilkinson is great in Batman Begins as Falcone. Um, but you know, this is still really fantastic. Um, this movie I continue to be super, super excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I have one little thing I want to talk about. There's not much to discuss. I just want to acknowledge how great this is, but they have confirmed that Noah Hawley, who did both the Fargo TV series and then Legion is going to write and direct a new Star Trek movie oh, that's w- cool. with the reboot cast, which I just want more movies with that cast. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, this won't include Anton Yenchen, obviously, because he, he tragically yeah. passed away. Um, but I will also... Have you gone back and watched any of his films recently? No. They're all so good. He, I mean, he was amazing. I know you've talked a lot about Charlie Bartlett, which I haven't Charlie seen. Charlie Bartlett is so good. He's amazing in that. Thoroughbreds, he's amazing in. Oh, that's right. His, I saw, his last I, yeah, film. Yeah, I still need to go watch that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've heard the, the documentary that just came out about him is supposed to be really, really fantastic. Mm-hmm. I need to go watch that. I can't remember the name of it. Um... But, I mean, it, it won't include him, which is unfortunate. Yelp yelp. No, I'm sorry. No, let's, that's not. That's not. Uh, you know, it's, it's sad that it won't include him, but, I mean, that is that is an amazing cast, and so I'm super excited for that. And, and Noah Hall is a really fantastic creative. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have one other thing. Or I guess two things in the same vein to talk about. One is that Henry Cavill made a comment recently that technically he's still Superman. Yeah. He hasn't given up. He said something along the lines of, like, the, the cape is in the closet, and he's ready to bring it out if something lines up properly, mm-hmm. which... I would still like to see a really good Superman movie done with him. I think he's well cast, just underutilized. I agree. But along those lines, the other thing the too more is important news, the most important <sighs> news of this week that we've been, I've been waiting 
for this moment on the podcast. So there's been a lot of social media traction, let's specify. Yes. About But that that gets work done nowadays. It can. You see, it, it, fix Sonic. I was I was gonna bring it up. Like, <laughs> are we gonna talk about Sonic? That new trailer looks good, it actually. It looks so good. It looks fun. It looks mm-hmm. really fun. Um so glad they fixed that. Jesus Christ. I don't even care about Sonic and I'm glad they fixed it. I I think I have really high hopes for the movie. Just just because it's nice to see Jim Carrey be like a crazy person again. Yeah. He's like he's gonna be on like proper camp form. Yeah. But no, what, what we're ultimately getting at here is that there's been a lot of social media traction about the Snyder Cut. So obviously the hashtag release the Snyder Cut. But the big thing is, is that who has been jumping everyone. in on this, which is everyone. So like basically all the principal cast now has jumped in to make uh, some sort of post about it. So this includes Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, I guess it's Gadot, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg, Jason Momoa obviously has been banging this drum for a while. Yeah. Um, but lots, I had, where to go? I had the article up. Lots of other people though are also getting on, on this. Um, fuck, where to go? I had it. Oh, here we go. Uh, okay. So let me just like run through some of the list of people that have been jumping on board here. So, oh, I guess, I think it's the, if the cinematographer has been posting a little bit about this. Um, but the actor who played, um, Black Manta in Aquaman. Okay. I'm, I'm, Forgive me, I'm talking a bunch of this, but Yahya Abdul-Mateen. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, maybe I got that right. Uh, who's also in Watchmen, and he's great in it. Okay. He's the husband. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, he tweeted about it. David Ayer tweeted about it. Gal Gadot. Um, ben Affleck. Ray Porter. Who's Ray Porter? Uh, is that not Cyborg? No, that's Ray Fisher. Oh. Joe Manganiello. Um yeah, lots of people like the stunt coordinator on it. But I think they, we have to remember when we talk about release the Snyder Cut. The movie's not done. Like that's not a complete. It's, it seems movie. ambiguous. Yeah, as to how. I mean, so how would you like them to handle it? So I I have mixed feelings on this because there's a lot of cases in history of films getting interfered with for the lesser. So for example. Uh, years later, they released the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 on DVD, mm-hmm. which I still own somewhere. I have to track it down because I think whenever we do that movie, I think we're going to do that version of the movie. Okay. But famously, so brief little thing in history here. Famously, Richard Donner was doing the two Superman movies back to back. The budget, budget got way overblown. The Salkins who are producing it fired him before the end of Superman 1 was even released. So the end of Superman 2 tacked on Superman 1 and then hired Richard Lester, who had done A Hard Day's Night, which is a great film, to do Superman 2 and basically had to reshoot, just like reshoot bit, like moment for moment, bit for beat for beat, most Superman 2 to get the credit on it mm-hmm. as a director. And I think to the lesser of that film, that's still a good film, but the Richard Donner version is better. It just hangs together a lot more solidly. So they released that on DVD, and so it's composed of a lot of the Richard Lester stuff, and then they changed the ending a little bit, and they added in some scenes. So uh, a great example is the the moment where Lois realizes who Superman is, and Clark Kent Superman. It's a <laughs> 40-year-old fucking movie at this point. You just haven't seen it, so that's why it's spoilers <laughs> for you. But there's a different version in the theatrical release than the Richard Donner version. The version they use is actually a screen test. When they did the original screen test, the chemistry test, between Margaret Kidder and Christopher Reeve, uh, they use that scene. So that's the version they use in the Richard Donner cut. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's an interesting experiment. Like you watch it and you can see that it's unfinished. You can see like the, the, the holes and the patches, but it's interesting to see that version done 
Um, I also have always really wanted to see the director's cut of Superman Returns, and I recognize now how problematic that is, given that Brian Singer's the director on it. Mm-hmm. But I've read the screenplay, and I've seen some of the like deleted scenes, and there's a version of that movie that's a lot better than the theatrical cut. I've always wanted to see that. So I would like to see what Zack Snyder would have done with this, recognizing that it would be incomplete. There'd probably be some patchwork VFX shots. Um, but I, I am curious about this. I, but it's also hard to know what we get because yeah. the thing that people don't seem to be talking about is justice league was a half of a two part story. That was the original intent. So we don't know to what degree the first film and what was shot had a sense of closure to it, a finality to it. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, if Warner Brothers is sitting on a near completed version of this movie or a, say even like a 78% complete version of this movie, but it's half a story, they put themselves in a bind by putting out this movie because say it does get positive reactions. Say people are like, oh, this like actually would have been good. We see what they're going for in terms of the story arc. Then all of a sudden the fans are like, well, now give us Justice League 2. But, but on that note, when have they listened to fans? I mean, they don't in general. But the thing is, is that if you yield mm-hmm. in releasing the Snyder Cut and you potentially set up then people demanding that you go make a movie that, let's be honest, won't do well at the box office because the Justice League, the first one, bombed. All, there's this ambiguity as to what's going on with that cast. Ben Affleck's already gone mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, I mean, all their contracts have been fulfilled. So, like, if they want to film any more scenes, make a sequel, it, they have to, like, you know, scrounge up more money to pay yeah. all these actors that now are kind of even bigger than they were before. Yeah. They're going to be even harder to open time slots for, you know, get them in the same room yeah which i think there are definitely moments in the first justice league the actual theatrical version when you watch it go oh these people aren't in the same room together yeah. <laughs> there was a uh i just learned there was a movie that started production in 2016 with tom holland and daisy ridley oh uh, yeah that's still not out yeah and, and now Doug lyman film actually uh i th- i think so yeah uh, i don't remember what the movie's called but yeah they like the producers of it i think it might be lionsgate um or so, Sony. I don't know. It, it's not Warner Brothers. It's not Disney. Uh, the They're still trying to like finish the movie, but now, obviously, since they started filming, Days Ridley became uh, huge. huge Tom and Tom Holland, Holland became huge. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, yeah, now they just can't ever... They don't have time for reshoots anymore. No. Plus, like, they're going to look older. Yeah, and that, that was the other visible thing. Is Yeah, it, it's been three years while they were both young. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the same reason why we'll probably never see New Mutants, right? Because mm-hmm. f- from what I've heard, that movie maybe never actually got reshoots done. Like, they were scheduled and they didn't happen, which at this point, it's like you would have to either reshoot the whole thing because all those actors have aged up a little bit. Yeah. The trailer came out in 2016. Fuck. Yeah. So, no, I, I agree with you. Just from like a logistics perspective, I don't think they can put enough stuff together to make it work. Here's, here's how I think they should handle the Justice League movie, mm-hmm. the, the Snyder Cut. Um, handle it the same way as... Do you, did you ever see the documentary, The Sweatbox? No, what's that? So, got my Disney story in. Uh, For those of you playing Tim Talk <laughs> Bingo at home. Yeah, I got it, got it in. So, a lot of people don't know, but everyone loves The Emperor's New Groove. Yes. It's a very fun, very funny movie. That was not the original script at all. 
Right. They completely rewrote, reanimated everything in kind of the last year. Yeah. So the movie had been in production for about two years already. Similar voice cast, uh, but it was going to be a very serious movie. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, a, a new take on Prince and the Pauper. Uh, it was going to still be a musical. Uh, there's rumors that uh, a lot of the ideas were uh, quote unquote stolen allegedly uh, and put into Road to El Dorado. Oh, okay. Of, uh, America's asshole Katzenberg. Yeah. Uh, and so this movie. Oh, and and it was also going to be done in a similar sense as Tarzan, where they have one artist, single artist soundtrack. Single artist soundtrack uh, for our most esoteric episode. Go back <laughs> yeah. and listen to single artist soundtrack. Uh, it was going to be one artist, and it was going to be Sting. Oh, okay. And yeah. Sting had written the entire soundtrack already. Uh, the uh, storyboard had, but the script had been done. Storyboard had been done full voice cast had been done like they'd finished all the dialogue yeah they'd started final animation and then a single disney exec who i don't remember his name right now i think he's gone now i assume he's gone now came in he's like oh i hate this start over and we're not moving the deadline uh i mean that that's the la story though that's the hollywood story yeah Uh, so they completely you know they they on a timeline standpoint they were 70 percent done with this project yeah uh, and completely scrapped it and started from scratch. Uh, and now we have the, the version we have now. And so they made a documentary about it, which also, funny enough, got scrapped, but was leaked <laughs> online a, a couple of years ago called okay. The Sweatbox, yeah. which is about the miserable process of basically calling Sting and telling him we're not making his movie. Jesus Christ. That's, um, that's a hell of a thing. <laughs> they should have made the exec do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this this horrible process of changing everything in the last minute. Yeah. And so I think they can take that idea and a- apply that to the Snyder Cut. I think they could work. I mean, they did the same thing with uh, Superman Lives. Mm-hmm. That there's a documentary yeah, out the, there. Yeah, the about... death of Superman Lives. Exactly. Which mm-hmm. I haven't watched either. We should do Neither that. have I. We yeah. should do that at some point. Uh, so yeah, so so that that could kind of curve the ending of that part one. Yeah. Of like you're you're showing it in segments. And then kind of as you're getting to the end of part one, you can kind of... Uh, blend it into uh, more about Snyder mm-hmm. and more about Zach and, and kind of the, the the trauma that happened with his family. I I, I wouldn't want them to. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's like, I like that idea up to a point. Like, I like that idea of basically making a movie about this movie kind of falling apart and the reshoots that went into it. And, you know, you could even have sections of it that, like, are extended sequences. Like the di- ending is totally different. Like yeah. you can have that ending shown more or less like in real time, but yeah, I, I wouldn't want to dive into like the personal tragedy element of it just cause that would feel exploitative. And you know, it, we, we have, we, we knock Zack Snyder a lot as like a filmmaker sometimes, but like he's still a, a person. Yeah. He, and, yeah. And like that. It's really sad what, what happened to him. And I, and I think maybe to some degree that became an excuse like and worth also knowing not acknowledging we don't have any inside knowledge on this it's yeah. like pure speculation but like it not kind that we've of, ever had inside knowledge on anything never <laughs> at any point in our lives but it kind of feels like maybe warner brothers to some degree capitalized on that tragedy as an excuse to oh, push absolutely to push him out um and I, I i guess that's like the real tragedy of all of this it's like there's an actual like human tragedy tangentially connected with what is otherwise like a lot of business political entertainment bullshitting that's going on. And 
it's interesting that Snyder is also feeling this fire himself to a lot of degree. Um, cause I feel like there's potential for that intersection to happen somewhere. Yeah. Here, here, here's my second idea. Mm-hmm. So the original version of clerks, uh, Kevin Smith ran out of money and didn't finish two scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in the DVD version of clerks, <clears throat> they actually, you can actually watch it with those scenes added, but they're animated. Oh, okay. And it's very, it's, it's, <laughs> it's very, it's funny. They're, it's, it's fun to see them. I'm, glad they weren't in the real movie because they're very dark and very weird. Did they get shot at the end? Uh, no, it's Jay and Silent Bob crash a funeral uh, and uh, no, no, it's not Jay and Silent it, It's the, the main two guys. Yeah. Uh, Dante and, and, and uh, Randall? Yeah, Randall. Go to a funeral uh, and he like drops a ring in the, the casket and so it's like him like feeling around the dead body uh, to try and like, get his ring back or whatever he dropped back. Yeah. Uh, it's very off-putting and like it's funny animated. Yeah, but I feel like it'd be very very painful. Yeah, in real live life. action. So like that that is a weird route they could go. I mean they have you you've seen screened movies before where they're not full where you have yeah. like the storyboard filled in. Yeah, the rumor is right now to, to kind of bring it all back to where we were is uh, people are, are speculating this is uh, being talked about now because it, it might go up on HBO Max. Okay. The the Warner streaming service coming soon. Yeah. Which is going to be expensive. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> Look, I, I would be for that. I think that saves them on having the cost because it's expensive to generate and distribute DVDs or yeah. Blu-rays. Um, for for a a pretty, I mean, it's a, it's a big audience, but still a niche audience. It's, it's still very niche at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's still very very specific. Like it's not something you know anyone in my family is going to go out and it's like, oh, no. I saw this at Target. Yeah, I had to go buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I would like to see it. Um, Justice League is terrible. And, and yeah. it's terrible because it's just so underwhelming and it's so generic and there's nothing interesting to it. And I, I even, I'm pretty sure I even said when we did an episode on Justice League that I would rather would have seen the Snyder version. Yeah. <laughs> Which is saying something considering because, yeah, I hate BBS. Boring is worse than bad. Yeah, the greatest sin of a film is being boring. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I would be curious to see it. Um, I have no interest in like jumping in and like the fan fervor to try and make it happen. But if it were, I'd be, I'd be curious to watch it certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's on, I, th- I think a streaming platform is the best place to put it. I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we uh, <laughs> finally start our topic? Yeah. Should we get into our, our, our primary topic of the day? So yes, yeah, a couple of new episodes of uh, static shock here. So starting out with child's play. Yeah. Uh, so this, what's the care? Um, Aaron. So it's about this kid, Aaron, who, no, Aaron's the brother. Aaron's the brother. Who's the yeah? Uh, Dwayne. Dwayne. So we just—it's about Dwayne something's last name. I watched this on Friday and I've forgotten it already. Uh, Dwayne, who was near the Big Bang and now has the ability to essentially make his imagination become real, which is such a cool power. It is a cool power. Um, and then you know, initially he's just kind of—it's all relatively benign. Like he's kind of accidentally making bad things happen, like creating a giant robot to disrupt a basketball game and wrecking the rec center and stuff like that. He's not doing anything particularly malicious, but his stepbrother, Aaron has just gotten out of like, he went to like some sort of like finishing school, like correction. Yeah. Some sort of punitive bad kid school that has a better name than whatever I just said. Yeah. The, the, I don't think that, I mean, they never say juvie. Yeah. It's but, not juvie, but it's something along those lines, but he yeah. comes back and Aaron discovers that Dwayne has these powers and basically tries to trick Dwayne into like robbing banks and doing a bunch of bad shit. And then static has to jump in to point out that Aaron's a real shit brother. Mm-hmm. 
Um, brother. Step brother. Mm-hmm. Yes, worth differentiating. But I mean, it's it's pretty solid. It's it's an interesting power set that I thought they did a good job with. I, I think it's because I've seen this power a few times, and it's funny and it makes sense that it's always a kid that has this power. Yeah. Because if you give it, I mean, I I love the idea of like a teenager having this power, and it's like boobs appearing on walls, <laughs> just I, I, everywhere. <laughs> I I love the idea of an adult having this power. Because it would be the most mundane things ever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what it would be for me? Not having to get up in the middle of the night to go pee. <laughs> That's what I would dream. It would be it would be like having the remote be slightly closer so I don't have exactly. to get up and get it. <laughs> I, would just... I would just imagine my water bottle filling itself up so I don't yeah. have to do it myself. And so I don't have to get up and go do it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, because they have a kind of a joke about that in this, which I really enjoyed, uh, where Aaron tells Dwayne to make him money. So he tries to make a hundred dollar bill, and he's like, "What is this? this isn't a hundred? Like, I've never seen a hundred dollar bill. So this is what I think it looks like." Yeah, it's just it's it's a fun little moment. It's, yeah, it's the reality of what this like how this kid would approach things. Yeah, like, and it also like it also at the same time sets up the family life of like they're not a well off family. Yeah, um, there there's a lot of internal struggles, and they they kind of poke around at it where like when Aaron finds out that Dwayne has powers, Dwayne is very like very scared of it he's like please yeah. don't tell anyone like you know i'm i'm scared of what i can do and then later in the episode virgil and uh richie go to their mom's house mm-hmm. and you kind of see that and the first thing she says is like it's like oh those bang babies it's like i, I don't want them anywhere around here and i'm like yeah. oh okay you see like why he's scared of this it's like it's immediate that the parent is making him you know fearful what he can do yeah it's basically there's an obvious disapproval from the parents and then the kid's aware that he's a bang baby and is horrified of that Mm -hmm. that sort of disapproval yeah and so then when you have aaron come in he's like oh no you're awesome we're friends he's like oh yeah absolutely he's gonna stay and and do what he says because now this is someone that's approving of what he can do yeah and not approving accepting of what he can do uh and in from his perspective like he's being praised for it Mm -hmm. which is from what we can imagine this episode has never happened before. No. And like that, how much of a relief that would be for a kid. And we talked a little bit about this with, um, the introduction of his, is it the, the, what's the, um, Ebon's crew called? Oh, the, uh, the meta breed, the meta breed. Yeah. Like the idea of finding acceptance someplace and what happens when that acceptance is coming from the wrong kind of person or someone who is using it to exploit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's kind of what's really incredible about this show is that's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing that like pretty much every kid goes through in some sort of capacity. Absolutely. That feeling of loneliness or being an outsider and finding acceptance and then either finding out the wrong way that you have been accepted by the wrong kind of person or having someone else pointed out to you and the defensiveness that comes with that. And maybe the eventual self-realization too. And like, that's a really real grounded thing. Yeah, and that, that's how cults are formed. Yeah, basically. Uh, do, you, do you remember the, the Boy Meets World episode where Sean joins a cult? No, I don't. It's a great episode. And it, it has like such a powerful ending uh, where Sean is like abandoning his friends, abandoning his respo- responsibility. He wants to quit school. Yeah. And Corey comes up and just like hugs him. He's like, this is a hug. This is what a real hug is. Not the shit that they're giving over there. Like, this is what friendship is and family is. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. Corey, <laughs> why yeah. are you such a good friend? But, I mean, it, it ultimately just boils down to, like, really good storytelling. And, you know, 
when they're hitting those sort of really good, genuine emotional beats, I, I honestly kind of lose track of, not lose track, but I don't think much about the plot necessarily or the villains. Because like, it's a cool power set. I think it's really well utilized, but a lot of it's mm-hmm. kind of silly. Like yeah. he makes like this. A sumo wrestler. A sumo wrestler to break into a bank. I love that. But it's also very much like what a kid would do. And I love that even that the animation style is different between, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm stealing that note from you. I'm sure oh, no, you, no, I, you I, had I, that on there. But like the animation style is different. But you know, like when Aaron wants him to like steal stuff from a, a mall, he creates this like this Martian train thing to go around stealing stuff. And so that that's the other thing is they they set it up very slyly in the beginning, where when they're talking to the mom, she's like, "Oh, you know, Dwayne, he just loves like playing video games and watching and watching cartoons." And so then that comes back in the mall, and Virgil is like, "Oh, wait, my powers aren't working, but I know this character from the game." And I know how to beat them in the video game. Yeah. And that is the the weakness to that character still. And like, oh, it's nice to have nerd fights. Right. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that this show leans into the characters being genuinely nerdy. And like they feel really they feel real. Yeah. Like they are. They are not, quote unquote, cool, but because they just feel more real and grounded, like. They are kind of cool. Yeah, nothing feels more fake when you have a jock that's like, what's Star Wars? Yeah. I'm like, fuck you. Everyone knows what Star Wars is. Everybody knows what Star Everybody Wars knows. is. Everybody knows. Yeah. It's not cool to not like things. Yeah. That, that, that's more worrisome. Yeah. Like, maybe you got hit in the head too many times and right. you forgot what Star Wars is. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you have this, like, where they're not, like, they still think they're cool. They're not playing into the nerd trope. But at the same time, like, oh, yeah, he programs video games. He watches cartoons. Yeah. Like, that. yeah, that's just what normal people do. He is just a normal kid. Yeah. In, in a way that we haven't really seen. Because even Terry is... He was just a, a normal guy who had, like... Amazing. Like, like gold level, like, Olympics level gymnastics abilities. Yeah. But even then, he's got this kind of like James Dean cool guy thing going on. He's got the hot girlfriend. He's got friends. You know, it's like he, he, his episodes never felt relatable as a teenager. Well, it, it was also to the point where he was so played up that when he was, for me at least, when he was nice to like the nerd characters, it almost felt uncharacteristic of him. Yeah. Like to be the nice guy on top of all this. Exactly. Because I think he always genuinely was trying to be the nice guy, but then there was there were certain episodes when he would play up that niceness to try and get some sort of information and be a detective. And you feel like Virgil does that a little bit here. Because actually Virgil does play a detective kind of in this episode. Like he has to go figure out who the person is that is making all these things happen. Mm -hmm. Which that's kind of fun to see too. Like it was a totally different side to him as a crime fighter having to evolve a little bit. Yeah. Uh Oh, and then, so this is also the episode we were introduced to the community center, which yeah. will be a big location for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, I, I misspoke before, as I do many a time. Yes. Uh, he does not run a homeless shelter or a kid shelter. This is uh, Virgil's dad's job in location, is yeah. he runs the community center. And we see at the same time, he, it's, it's meant to help kids. Yeah. Uh, so we see that in the next episode a lot too, which we'll talk about in a second mm-hmm. of like his first and ultimate responsibility is the the kids of the community. Yeah. And once again, best parent award continues to go to Virgil's dad. Oh, absolutely. Cause what it's also great about that too, is that it helps understand why he has a problem with the bang babies because 
I mean, one is they there's just the chaotic element of a, this town now being filled with a bunch of people with powers. Mm-hmm. There's the the bang babies who are kind of active criminals. Yeah. Yeah, it, and also, yeah, the majority of the bang babies are kids. They're teenagers. Yeah, yeah and, and there's that side of it too, which is that as someone who has dedicated his life and his career to helping kids, you know, there's a part of him that I'm sure would recognize just the impact that have on all those kids. Just like the, just the, the pain of the empathy of knowing that there are people that are now struggling even more so because they have these powers mm-hmm. and are dealing with even more problems than would have otherwise. Um, you know, there's like the collateral damage element. Obviously his community center gets destroyed partially yeah. by a kid, but you know, and we'll get to it a little bit in the next episode, but you know, in the next episode, we'll see the first interaction between, um, Virgil's dad and static, like face to face. And the only thing that the dad says is, do, you know do your parents know where you are? Yeah. Cause he really does always look at this from the perspective of someone who really cares, which, you know, it, it helps differentiate him from say someone like. J. Jonah Jameson is always like, oh, like Spider-Man, you menace, you're always causing these sort of problems and almost gets played like a bit of a caricature mm-hmm. at times. Whereas that's like, oh, it's really coming from a place of empathy. And what what is the name? It, it's slipping me right now, but in Young Justice, they open up the facilities for um, new Medicaids. Oh, uh, Do you what is those it are the, called? Um, it's the, oh, it starts with a T. It's in, it's in Talos. New Mexico? Talos, New Mexico, right? Yeah, the first one is. Um, Hold on, let me Google that real quick. I know what you're talking about, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like he... If if that, I think, was part of a comic story at this point in, in in history, I feel like that is where Virgil's dad would be. It's like he would be running the the meta facility for kids. To help kids. Yeah. Um... What uh, we talked about most of the episode, but I do want to talk about the powers a little bit because it's an mm-hmm. interesting power set, and I feel like oh, it's just called the youth, the youth, the youth center. center. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, it's, it's run by Star. That's what I was thinking. It's run by Star Labs. It's run by Star Labs. There, okay, there we yeah. go. Yeah. But how did you feel about the way the kids' powers were used? It, it's also for being a weird power. I thought it actually the logic of it held up pretty well. Yeah, it it made sense. I mean, there's another person. I think it's in static. Uh, someone will correct me. Uh, where they they can just make projections. So mm-hmm. that they, it's not a physical construct like uh, Dwayne could make. Yeah. But instead, it's you know it's a hologram. Yeah, and it. I think here here they obviously are physical constructs because they cause damage. They can pick up characters and move them around. But then it also acknowledges that though the constructs aren't vulnerable to statics powers because they're still not real. Yeah. They're basically like hard light holograms mm-hmm. essentially. And I thought that actually held together pretty well. Yeah. Uh, also I thought it was really interesting that the robot dinosaur had rocket legs. <laughs> I had never noticed that in the, uh, the opening title sequence. Oh, I missed that too. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the actual cartoon episode, like, Oh, that robot does that ro- T-Rex robot doesn't have legs. Mm-hmm. He's got, Jetpacks. Got jetpacks, yeah. Jetpack legs. Because that's cool. It is, I mean, it is cool. And the show is cool. That's the thing. That's what a kid would think of. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like crazy imagination. Yeah, and it's... Uh, yeah, it, it, the power is used exactly as a kid would use it. It's Yeah. He wants to show off to his friends, so he makes something to show off to his friends. Uh, what's the first thing we see him make? The cherry soda fountain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then they talk about... Uh, oh, because so... Um, what's her face is back. Um not not Trixie. Daisy? Daisy, thank you. Uh, 
Daisy's back, and I think they use her in a very smart way for storytelling mm-hmm. because we're already in a world where Virgil and Richie know everyone and uh, kind of have that good connection to the community. You can have Daisy come in for exposition of like, right. who's that guy? Yeah. It's like, who's- oh, that guy, that's, that's uh, Aaron. He was in juvie for a little bit, but now he's back. Let's go say hi to him like we've never met before. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it is like, good- hey, Aaron, you might not remember me. I'm Virgil. I'm the main character. Yeah. This is my cartoon. This is my show. It's Welcome. called Static Shock. I don't know the connection yet. You're here for one episode. Yeah. You have 23 minutes to get your story across. Right. Then we'll forget you for all time. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I quite liked this mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. This is such a... The, uh, I, didn't, I didn't pick up any good... Oh, hold on. Before we get into quips, this is also a very important episode. Because it introduced Shaq? Because it introduced Shaq, yeah. Because the, the teenagers <laughs> having an argument of who's the better basketball player, Will Chamberlain or Shaq? Yep. Yep. Our first episode with Shaq in it. Yes. The seeds are being planted. Yes, they are. Um, yeah, that, that was my pop culture reference of, uh, of the week. Because mm-hmm. there's really none in the next episode. But that, yeah, one, that I, one was like very, very on point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like they looked in the camera and said it. It's like, Will Chamberlain, he's got nothing on Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Coming soon to Kids Coming WB. Coming soon. Keep your eyes peeled, kids. Watch this face. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think that's kind of everything that I had yeah. notes on. The, the one little nod that I liked was when they have the, um, that, uh, that Martian train, his one weakness was fire, which is obviously yeah, yeah, a yeah, nod yeah, yeah. To, uh, to John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, shall we uh, move on to Sons of the Father? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so like as we mentioned at the, the, the top of the show, like this is a pretty important episode in terms of the run of Static Shock. It's, it's one of their highest regarded. It's one of the most famous. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't expecting to be so soon. So I was like excited to get to it because it's, it's pretty intense. I mean, there's a, a loose background plot about Ebon and the... Um, Oh, I can't, what is it the again? Metabreeds. Metabreeds. I can't I can never remember the name for That's some fine. reason. The Metabreeds being um, back, but they're really a, a sideline plot thread that's really there just to give some structure to the main yeah. storyline, which is uh, it's pointed out that Richie's always at Virgil's house on the way around. So Virgil's like, hey, can I come over to your place? And he goes on a Friday night and comes to realize that Richie's dad is this huge bigot and is at first kind of oblique in his references, really like knocking on rap music and everything that it does for his community. And then eventually he just like makes a comment, not to Virgil's face behind his back about his kind. And it's really intense. Um, so Virgil then leaves and then Richie runs away, essentially ultimately is kidnapped by Ebon, but it forces uh, Richie's dad to partner up yeah, Mr. with Full and Mr. Hawkins to go together to go try and track him down and, and, Richie's dad is basically just confronted with his own bigotry. And it's like, it's, it's not even subtle or like, like bleakly reference. It's right there. Like Richie even says like my best friend just left because of your racism. Mm -hmm. It's like, fuck. Yeah. This is a very, yeah. Big episode. Yeah. And and again, like the, the kind of the, the emotional story, the, the social message that it's trying to get across is so well done and so powerful that the, the villain plot doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a good use of a character like Ebon, who's already established, who you need to just bring in just to have a villainous presence in the background. Yeah. Like, that's 
what these shows can do really well sometimes. When you need someone, you just have someone you can pull from your roster. Yeah, and, and that's that's exactly the, the rogues gallery. Even in episode eight, they've already set up. Yeah, uh, we have Yvonne, Shiv, and Talon show up. Mm-hmm. We already know Hot Streak is a villain. Yeah, uh, and those are kind of our core. Oh, and then uh, Rubber Band Man. Well, he's he's more uh, anti-hero from this point on. Right, but up to this point, he's been. <clears throat> Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Carmandillo. Oh, he's Carmandillo's back! back. <laughs> Carmandillo yeah. and Chomper make a nice appearance here. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's who, he's just like the best kind of bumbling villain. If, do you uh, do you remember the Box Ghost and Danny Phantom? Yeah, Box Ghost is is one of the best villains because he's so useless. He haunts boxes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's he's like a like a evil haunted ups ghost yeah so he'll like make your so he he in danny phantom all his joke is like i'll make your package delayed by 24 hours <laughs> um and it's like throw cardboard boxes at people yeah so i imagine like carmen dillo is in a similar realm is just like this like he thinks he's so threatening yeah uh there's a giant yellow armadillo <laughs> no one cares yeah but no, I mean it's good. It's good use of those kind of um, established villains, so you can really focus on like the the primary plot here. Yeah. But like, especially that sequence when Virgil's at the house, it's hard to watch. Mm-hmm. It's really, really uncomfortable, and I'm I'm glad they went there. I'm glad they went to that level of like really obvious uncomfortableness. Yeah, because that's so real, and and like the passiveness of the rest of the family, of like. You know, you see the dad when they're sitting at the table, you see the dad just like angrily eating. And then you see his mom like doesn't want to make eye contact with anyone. Richie doesn't want to make eye contact with anyone. Uh, and they're like, they know this is going to happen. Like they they are prepared for this. Yeah. I mean, they deliberately try to have Virg come over when the dad wouldn't be around. Yeah. Um, which is it, it's. It's sad. It's It's really, really sad. I mean, that's something that like. I mean, you and I are, are both white. We have never really dealt with this directly in any sort of way. I can honestly say that I don't come from a racist family, thank God. <laughs> but you know this is sort of stuff is real. Mm-hmm. And to have it portrayed in such a real manner is really helpful. Now, wh- one thing I do want to note is that um, this was written by Christopher Simmons, who's one of the main writers in the show. As far as I can tell, Christopher Simmons is a white writer. He's Well, I'm going off the fact that he's a Canadian born writer and graphic designer. Okay. Not to just use a broad brush stroke here, but most likely this person's white. I, one little criticism, I kind of wish this had been written by like Dwayne McDuffie or one of the other writers. Mm-hmm. Not that it doesn't feel authentic, but I think maybe just that extra little bit of authenticity may have been beneficial. Yeah. Um, and, and you can definitely, at least I, I felt like, they also still had to kidify some of the problems. Yeah. Where, like, when uh, Richie's dad is talking about why he doesn't like rap music, like, oh, because it, you know, it, it teaches kids to 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 draw on walls and draw stay out past and, curfew. And, yeah, stay out past curfew. And and like, oh, because you can't parents. say anything else. Can't say anything else. No. Yeah, it, the, the actual words he's using aren't, yeah, are very kidifiable. Like the the message is. Coming oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, really, you still really understand what and, he's saying. And you know what's and also uh, Virgil tries to like still see the good in him. Yeah. So well, like, and uh, so so he says the the things about rap music, 
Richie and Virgil go back upstairs, and Richie's like profusely apologizing, and Virgil's like, "Oh no, I get it. Uh, you know, rap is that's not a white or black thing. That's you know, like that's an old person. Yeah, thing. my dad hates rap dad music rap too. Yeah, uh, and it, what I like about the way they they did that is they also acknowledge the element which is like the whoever is being subjected to prejudice always has to be the bigger person and mm-hmm. not push back because then doing so only fuels the completely fallacious argument on the other part of it. Right. right. So it's like, were Virgil or his dad like push back and be angry? Like this is bullshit. You can't treat people this way. Then that just in the diluted perspective of the bigoted person just solidifies the argument they're already trying to make. And the fact they, put that into the story, if not explicitly stated that it's there, mm-hmm. that Virgil is still trying to see the better part of this person who is treating him horribly. And that even his dad too is, you know, who someone who's obviously dealt with this his whole life. And also who, especially given the role he plays in the community center would probably see a lot of this is able to push back. And I actually thought the most impactful thing that he says is not really, is because he does call out the dad a little bit on his racism, but he really says Mr. like, Hawkins. Yeah, okay. sorry, Haw- yeah, uh, Robert Hawkins calls out, Mr. Hawkins calls out Mr. Foley. But what he really says, like, you have a really incredible son, and because of who, the way you are and the way you look at the world, you'll never fully appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so oh, yeah, powerful. That, that hits. Yeah, because he, he really went to the crux of it, which is like the, you know, there's just the broad tragedy of the fact that you are continuing to project this sort of hate into the world. There's the more focused tragedy of the fact that you aren't able to connect with people because you have these prejudices. But like the thing that is the most tragic of all of it is that you are losing your son because of the way you see the world and the fact that he doesn't either. Mm-hmm. There's uh yeah, I, I really, really like that. I was trying to look into the dad a little more. Cause they never say exactly what his job is, but they kind of bounce around what it might be. He, I mean, he's clearly in some, he, he has a job that includes night shifts. So it's yes. some sort of blue collar job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always assumed it was like some kind of security job. Like I thought he was like a, like a warden at, at uh, not a warden, but like a, an officer at either like a J, like a prison or juvie yeah. or something like that. Cause he always talks about like, you know, he has to work with the, like the worst of the worst of the people. Yeah. Uh, and so I always thought that was interesting having this, this character that, only sees the, you know, he can only see the negative sides of every person he meets. And then you have Mr. Hawkins who always sees the best in everyone he meets yeah. coming together. And then even between that, they go to kind of this, uh, while they're on the hunt, they go to uh, kind of the the purgatory where you have kids that ran away from their parents and they don't yeah. know what to do anymore. Yeah, it's like an abandoned house that kids have run off to. Yeah, should we do the bad stuff? Should we go down a bad path or should we go down a good path? Yeah. And so it's it's actually like the midpoint between these two characters like that's such an interesting you know to bring them to a point where they can go to either either's house yeah and something will happen no i mean i i it, like in that moment i'm like does mr hawkins really think that richie's gonna go here but putting that aside like it's really impactful in terms of portraying like what the the consequences are mm-hmm. um of being in that sort of environment yeah. And no, I mean, it's, it's really, really impactful. And, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I 
don't come, I come from a really supportive family, but you know, the thing that I felt really emotionally resonant between these two episodes is one we were talking about with, um, with Dwayne, like the idea that he's aware of the disapproval of his family and he knows he's a bang baby. And then in here, we're kind of dealing about just like either act or passive bigotry. And it's like, I won't go all into it, but like when I came out, like there was a lot of friction in my family. Like now we're great. Having gone through it, we're actually stronger as a result. But like, Mm -hmm. that's what I really connected with is the idea of like, you can reckon like being in a situation where you know that you're around someone that either that just disapproves of who you are as a person and not knowing how to deal with that or like having to retreat into it in a lot of ways or wanting to get out of that situation. Like that really emotionally resonated with me too. Mm -hmm. And no, it's it's just really good. Yeah. And then the ending is great. Oh wait, the the, the when they all show up at the um the Oh no no, like the very last bit. Oh, okay. Uh so Richie's dad starting to learn his lesson goes to pick up uh Virgil and Richie from the community center. Like, "Oh boy, I can't wait to go to Dakota <laughs> Comic-Con." And I'm like, "Oh, fuck yeah, they are." I did <laughs> Because, like, the, the final button on it, though, too, is the co- comment, of like, oh, yeah, like, we're going to go there. And there's all these, like, people dressed up in costumes and makeup, even some of the guys. And yeah. we're just like, oh, let that be a surprise. I want to see the look at his face. I'm yeah. Like, oh, good. He's homophobic, too. <laughs> but, uh, yes, he could be homophobic. But that's also just a joke of the early 2000s. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this at length. Yes. <laughs> that all comedy was grounded in homophobia in the early 2000s. Oh, yes, it was. But no, I mean, like, this is, it's, I mean, I I, I can honestly say, I think probably one of the best episodes of the DCAU we've encountered for, uh, yeah, for, absolutely. for, for very, very different reasons than maybe some of the other ones we've, we've talked about as being really exemplary, but like, it's a really emotional story. It's really good. And want to give like a, you know, extra shout out to the guys over the DCAU Watchtower, the Watchtower database, um, because they did a YouTube video, which I'm pretty sure I plugged when they first put it out there, but all about diversity in the dcau and uh this show in particular this episode and this dynamic is kind of one of the major things they touch upon so you know definitely worth going giving that a watch and kind of giving a a a more nuanced perspective on it that maybe you and i are are able to do yeah clumsily here on the podcast doing the best we can exactly (laughs) but no that's really uh worth a watch so go check that out Mm -hmm. so uh, I'm trying to think if the oh my because uh, there's only really one quip between these two episodes so I, it's gonna yeah, be the they're clip a little of the more week. serious yeah yeah so it was uh, you're a shadow you're a shadow of your former self Ebon like I like that, that so that's, good. that's a pretty good one that's so good uh, all right shall we move into some notes from friends here uh, let's do it all right so uh, got a message from Ashley Clark after our our last uh, full episode in which we we're able to kind of um, jump in and respond to some notes. But she messaged in with some score recommendations. I was talking about how much I love scores. So she had a few. Uh, she said her favorite score is The Adventures of Robin Hood. Um, some other ones are Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, The Village, Broadchurch, and Who Doesn't Love Dragonheart? I actually haven't listened to any of these Neither scores. So I'm going to go do that. So what, uh, What's the like most unusual score in your, like, your kind of go-to playlist? Ooh, ah, there's so many. Um, I don't like the Beetlejuice score. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So I, I usually try and go for stuff that, um, has some energy to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, I mean, I, I do love my kind of more like atmospheric scores a little bit too. Yeah. But, I'm, I'm all about the atmosphere. Yeah. Like, so for example, like I will listen to the Danny Elfman Batman scores more than I will listen to the Hans Zimmer ones mm-hmm. because the Danny Elfman ones feel a little more big and operatic and have a high energy to it. Whereas, you know, the Batman Begins, the Dark Knight are kind of more like atmosphere simmering sounds mm-hmm. sort of things. That's usually what I go for. Um, I think one of the, some of the weirder ones that are on there though, and there's, they're individual songs. I don't have to listen to the full score, but uh, one is the William Tell Overture from the Lone Ranger from Hans Zimmer. Interesting. It's the, the secret. It's like the 10 minute long version they use for the, uh, the train. You've seen the Lone Ranger. I've right? not seen the Lone Ranger. Look, a lot of it's awful, mm-hmm. but it is directed by Gore Verbinski who, when he's not necessarily on form, despite that, he is a really good visual action director. And he's really good at these sort of like Rube Goldberg-esque action sequences. So okay. Fantastic sequence at the end of The Lone Ranger with multiple trains kind of running simultaneously and that stuff happening back and forth between them. And it's all done to the William Tell Overture, which is like a, a pretty classic piece of music, but was the Lone Ranger theme. But it's this big bombastic version. The other one that's kind of an odd choice is uh, it's also Hans Zimmer, but it's uh, from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's the Electro Suite. Okay. I don't know if you remember that at all. I have uh, Rooftop Kiss okay. on my go-to list from, from Hans Zimmer. Yeah, but it's the one where it's like got a bunch of weird, it's like electrifying, terrifying. Da, da, da. Oh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's it's a really odd piece of music, but it's, God damn it, it doesn't get you pumped up. <laughs> so uh, that's an odd one. So, but I do love me some scores. But Ashley also had a, uh, another comment she made, which is we were talking about uh, like great casts. Mm-hmm. So she had a, a comment, which is there should be a perfect cast challenge. So I'm going to pose that to you now as a question, Cameron, which is for you, what are some of your perfect casts? And can we, in this moment now, come up with the, <laughs> the greatest cast of all time in cinema? That's, I mean, that's a big question. And that's a question that definitely was not posed 40 minutes ago for me to think about. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll figure, we'll figure it out on the fly. Um, so do you have some? You want me to throw out some of mine? Uh, throw, I mean, I have my joke answer. Which is uh, Looney Tunes, or sorry, is a uh, Space Jam. Space Jam. I mean, that can't, is a, can't, can't get any more perfect than Michael Jordan, Bill Murray, and the Looney Tunes. Yeah. Um, also Wayne Knight. Sorry, excuse me. And also Wayne Knight. Yes. Yes. And Bill Murray. I said Bill Murray. Did you say Bill Murray? I did say. I said him first. Okay, I wasn't paying attention to mm-hmm. the words you were saying. Uh, no, I mean that is a super solid one. I mean, we were talking about them earlier. I think that the reboot star trek cast is a perfect cast oh yeah that's so good but i think that one can't necessarily take the cake because it is a perfect cast in that it is having to fall in the shadow of a previously perfectly cast group of people and the fact that it has a great balance of new takes on the characters and old takes on the characters and you know that's where that's a great one for me but i wouldn't include that um obviously i have to throw in the cast from casablanca Okay. Given that it's my favorite movie of all time, I deem that film a perfect film. You you did a Casablanca thing recently, didn't you? I did. My uh, my friend Alec was in town. He's been on the podcast before. Uh, apropos of this conversation, because I'm sure it'll come up for you, but he was on the Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he and I went out to the Casablanca Mexican restaurant in Venice, California. And the whole place is just all kinds of Casablanca memorabilia, murals and stuff like that. And both of us being huge Casablanca fans, it was amazing. Uh, but I mean that that movie is incredibly well written, but part of it just it survives on the the chemistry and the strength of its cast. And I think that is something worth noting. Is like I feel like a perfect cast is one that if you were to swap out any individual element of it, it wouldn't be as good of a movie. Okay. So like I think another one worth acknowledging 
is Star Wars, the original Star Wars film. Like that is a perfect cast. I feel like there's no one you change mm-hmm. anywhere in that. And that really survives in the chemistry of those those leads and the fact that when George Lucas was making that movie, he based it on the chemistry. It wasn't finding the best person for each role, but who, what trio had the best chemistry together and obviously the ones that he picked worked. Yeah. He, Two robots and a Wookiee. Exactly. He clearly lost that mojo when it came to casting the prequels, but yeah. I don't know. Who, who are some other casts for you? I'm trying to think. I mean, the Scott Pilgrim cast is so big. That is a really great cast. But everyone in it is so right. Yeah, I mean, I, I was such a huge fan of that comic franchise beforehand um, that, yeah, Chris Evans is, is amazing as Lucas Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Roth is Todd Ingram. Oh, Brandon Roth. I know. Uh, I mean, obviously, Michael Sarah is Scott. Yeah. Just this bumbling... Kieran Culkin uh, is so good in that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that cast is pretty phenomenal. I, I, I can't imagine anyone else in those roles. I want to say, like, I mean, I'm just going to go through, like, my top films. Yeah. Because uh, that, that's why I think they're my top films. But then I was going to say Speed Racer, but I feel like that movie, I think John Goodman is perfect cast. I think... Uh, yeah. but th- Some of them are perfect, but I, I think... Like Trixie, I think you could probably put in. Yeah, I think someone else could be Trixie. I mean, e- even Emilia Hirsch is doing yeah. a good job in that role, but I feel like you could swap him out with someone else, and it wouldn't make that huge of a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but for the sake of this argument, let's not do animation. How about that? Yeah, because <laughs> that that opens up a whole other a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you have you, you, we can bring in voice cast if we want. Yeah, like I mean the Toy Story voice cast, obviously. Oh, is. I was gonna <laughs> SpongeBob the first movie, David Hasselhoff. That's true. The Hoff. Everything's better with the Hoff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can oh, get that's such a big question. You can get into Marvel, right? But you know, I think it ultimately comes down to it's it can't be a movie that really hangs on maybe like one or even two critical pieces of casting, right? It's like. Obviously, Marvel's done an amazing job with their cast. You could mm-hmm. say, like, oh, my God, like, the Avengers is the great, like, the, a perfect cast. But that almost feels like a bit of a cheat in some ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, even even the first Iron Man, though, like, yes, uh, RDJ is yeah. Iron Man. But, like, I don't think we needed Jon Favreau to play Happy. We can get someone a, else there. A, yeah, but he's so good in it. He's Yeah, they're all so good. But I could also just imagine, because, I mean, obviously, we're going to get a reboot at some point in the next 20 years. Yeah. And that alone, I think, says of how permanent the cast is. Yeah. Uh, like, RDJ is going to be the hardest one to replace. And that's that's why I think it's going to take so long for them to reboot that one specifically. Yeah. But, like, you know, anyone can be Pepper. Anyone yeah, kind can be, of. Anyone can be happy. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't thrown in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I've been thinking about that one. Uh, and I, I think, I mean, uh, <clears throat> Roger's obviously great. Yeah, um, but I mean Bob Hoskins, Christopher Bob, Lloyd. Yes, I, those were the two that I was s- solid yeses. Yeah, and I think it's um. Oh, go ahead. What's her face? Oh, Dolores. Dolores. She's I, a little interchangeable. Mm-hmm. This is the one time I'd make an exception for a voice performance, though, in terms of Kathleen Turner for Jessica Rabbit, because mm-hmm. that it, you no no one else can do that character. Yeah, at all. Um, th- but I'm I would agree not with bad. you. I'm just drawn that way. That her voice is fucking exceptional, but I, I, I'll give you that. Like you could, you could probably swap out Dolores and the supporting cast, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. make that much of a difference. Yeah. Um, I, I'm gonna be honest. I think if if we're gonna try and come up with like one, like the a perfect cast, like the most perfect cast of all time, I'm gonna throw my hat in for the first Star Wars film. 
Okay. And look, again, Casablanca's my favorite movie. I would never slight it in any sort of way. And you can't change anyone else out on that. But what I will say about Star Wars is for many reasons, that movie has a huge cultural impact. But I think you replace any one of those major characters. And I, I'm going to go ahead and include Kenny Baker, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, um, and obviously uh, James Earl Jones. But, you know, even down to, um, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin's character. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Uh, um, Peter Cushing, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is so, so good. You take like any prominently featured character in that i think you swap them out the movie is pretty substantially compromised and i think that movie was always going to be successful but a huge part of its success is down to how good that cast is and if you start fucking with that chemistry maybe it doesn't land the same way it does and maybe it doesn't have this insane cultural impact that it has had for the last 40 plus years Mm -hmm. that's my argument at least i don't know if you have yeah i i feel like i got this this could be a whole episode. I know. Uh, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give a solid answer yet. I'll, I'll come back next week and give an answer. Okay. Um, or two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, my my second joke answer is uh, any of the Abin Costello films. That's just the names are <laughs> the names right. Yeah, there. they literally can't replace them with anyone yeah. else. That's a that's a fair shout. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair shout right there. Uh, All right. Well, how then, more how more perfect can you be when your name is in the title? In the title. All right. Well, then this is a a to be concluded conversation at some point. But my vote is for the uh, the original Star Wars. Cast. Yes. Please tell us what what you guys think. Uh, is, yeah. Is the most and and also cast. like you know uh, I love getting these kind of questions. Like getting um, an opportunity to just kind of like talk about some random little um, you know element of entertainment. As you know, we love to get off topic. So if you have some questions you'd love to have us answer, just any. Sort of speculative things like that, perfect cast, best, I don't know, reboot, something like that, throw it out at us, and uh, you know, we'll we'll kind of answer some of those in this section here. So but moving on from that, let us journey into the realm of bat plugs. Cameron, you got a plug this week? Uh I haven't had a chance to watch a lot. Uh, but I did go see the new Charlie's Angels. How was it? It's it's not bad. Okay. It's it's fun. Great airplane movie. As okay. as my as my uh scale always i feel like you your version of airplane movie is what i call an itunes movie which is like maybe a movie that i would buy or maybe not like for me an itunes movie is a movie that i would buy because i would watch it all the time Mm -hmm. just for the fun of it but i think an airplane movie for you is like one that's just worth like having on in the background yeah yeah. when i when i say airplane movie it's like it's one that i'm not gonna go out and seek but if i see it when i'm scrolling through flights on a plane i'm like oh fuck yeah i'm gonna watch this okay got it yeah that's not the same definition that i have Mm -hmm. okay Okay, so it's, it's fun, one though. where like I guess the other comparison is like if I see it, uh, like if I still used cable, like if I saw it was about to play on cable, like I would stop, stop what I was stop watching and watch, it and watch. But you're that, not gonna yeah. go like I gotta sit down and watch this in its entirety. Yeah, I'm not gonna like I'm not when it comes out on DVD. I'm not gonna be like oh I need to go watch this now. Yeah, like I'm gonna like it's never gonna be top of mind for me. So I mean, you enjoyed it. It was I fun. did. Yeah. Uh, I think Elizabeth Banks did uh, really well with directing and acting in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it, it breaks my heart to say this. Uh, I I think Naomi Naomi Scott uh, might be the worst person in the movie. No, is that yeah. just because everyone else is so strong? Everyone or, else is great. Or is she is she just kind of noticeably not really? Kristen uh, Kristen Stewart is acting circles around everyone else in this movie. Well, I mean, to be fair. She's, she's so a very good experienced, very talented actress. Yeah, she's so good in this movie, and like her character, you can just see her having so much fun. Yeah, because um, 
there's not really any like one to one comparison to former to either the nineties version or the seventies version. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of Kristen Stewart is kind of like the the plucky, like, I'm just doing this because it's a fun thing to do yeah. kind of character. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, Naomi, uh, Naomi Scott is is the, the new recruit. Uh, she's the, the tech genius mm-hmm. um, that doesn't really know what's going on. And, and then, I, I would guess that maybe a lot of, like, the story is then hung on her shoulders because she's, like, our entry point into this world. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I don't remember the third girl's name because she, she's a newer actress. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, she... she I haven't seen her in, but in she's the else. like X MI six. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Ella, Ella Balinska. Okay. Oh, nice. Uh, she's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're all great. Uh, Patrick Stewart is amazing in it. Uh, Digimon Hansu is great in it. Uh, yeah, everyone is just so everyone. I mean, I guess the villains aren't super great, but yeah, Kristen Stewart is so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think my biggest problem with it is, um, the, there's no real like big character arcs okay. for any of the people. Uh, I was hoping to kind of have like more stereotype in the beginning than to break out of by the end of it, but they're all kind of out of their trope immediately. Okay. Like she's the, you know, Kristen Stewart is the fun loving, like weird one, but she's also like, Oh, but also like we have to do everything by the books. Like we have to make sure mm-hmm. that gets done first, and that, then that, then that, then that. Because like we're still a team. Yeah. And like, oh well, no, you should learn that. Okay. Uh, is it more just kind of like a, a romp? Is it? Is yeah. Maybe a little lacking in substance. It's more just like a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's very much like I went to see it because I needed something to just turn my brain off to. Yeah. Um, and it's it's exactly that. Like, okay. It, it's fun. It's very cute. I. Because there's there's kind of like some interesting dialogue around the movie because it hasn't done well in the box office at mm-hmm. all. It's been like a, a total flop. Yeah, and, and that that's really upsetting because it it's not worth flop status. Okay, that, I guess that was me like the crux of my question is, um, yeah, I mean, it, do you feel like it should be doing better? Yeah, I think at least it should make its money back. Okay, uh, for for the for the entertainment I got out of it, I would say it should like gross, I don't know, thirty million dollars. That's still not enough to make its money back. No, I mean, uh, no. After, so, oh, well, like, it, gross, it, oh like, it should make thirty million. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think you have very high expecta- expectations for what profit movies make. Oh, that's the word I was thinking. Yeah. It yeah. Profit, not gross. Yeah. Um, um, no, I mean, I I do want to watch it. The challenge I have now is that I barely get a chance to see anything. I know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I chose that over like Honey Boy. Yeah. Uh, Everyone has been telling me to go see The Lighthouse. I'm sorry. I'm probably not going to see The I'm Lighthouse. I'm probably not going to see it either. Soon. No. Like, uh, you know, you and I have both prioritized Sing Frozen 2 this weekend, although yep. we haven't had a chance yet. I really want to see Knives Out. I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Oh, did that, or, did that just come out? came out this weekend. Yeah. Oh, shit. God damn it. I know. So I, I'm, I'm prioritizing trying to get a chance to sit oh, and see that. Man. I got to go see Ford versus Ferrari being the big gearhead mm-hmm. that I am. Yeah. It's good. Um, so there's a lot of things I want to see. Like, and I want, I genuinely wanted to see this, like... And even though there's still stuff on Disney Plus I haven't watched yet. I know, right? There's that too. And I think that's what it came down to for me. It was like, I wanted to see this. I was super excited when they first announced it, given that it was Elizabeth Banks, who I, I absolutely adore, mm-hmm. um, to like put this franchise in the hands of women, I thought was really important. Mm-hmm. I was really excited about it. The first trailer came out, I'm like, I'm not super keen on this. Every subsequent trailer, every time I watch, I'm like, this movie looks dumb, but I'm also on board with it. I want to go see it and have fun. Yeah. 
I, I see... So there's moments in the movie where I understand why reviewers are going to review it badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's moments where they really overemphasize um, like the mistreatment of women in the workplace. Okay. And I'm sure as a reviewer, they're like, oh, this feels out of place. I'm like, no, we need to see these things. No, it's important. <laughs> yeah, like, like we were just talking about with these episodes of Static Shock, like at the end of the day, entertainment should also still have something to say. Mm-hmm. It should feel of the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the opening shot is uh, Naomi going into a meeting and her boss, like, you know, talking over her the whole time, uh, like, puts his hand on her knee. She's like, or no, puts his hand on her hand. She's like, you're doing a great job, honey. Mm-hmm. Like, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, it, it's the stuff that, like, like, why are they doing this? But I'm like, oh, yeah, we just need be, this yeah, cause so much right now. The world just does this all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I want to watch it. I just don't have the time, and it's not something I'm going to prioritize. I, I wish it was doing better. I, w- I want a movie like this to be successful because I think what ends up happening is there's a very complex narrative around this because there's a, different, a couple of different elements. There's one, just a quality perspective that maybe it's not as good as people were hoping it would be, so they're not mm-hmm. interested. I, I, if we're comparing it to like the, the all-female Ghostbusters, yeah. I think it's much better than that movie. Well, that's not our just, just, Yeah, exactly. That movie was terrible. Uh, yeah, just, just on like a content level. Yeah. It's, but, it's a better movie than that. The, but you know, there's a lot that goes into this because one, there's the idea of maybe it's just not as good as everyone was kind of hoping it would be, so it's not doing well because of that. There's just a competition thing, which is it came out at a time when other really big movies were coming in the pipeline. It frankly was having to compete with things like Disney Plus right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, There's a conversation about the fact that movies with all-female cast, especially ones that then have female directors and writers and producers behind it, there's conversations about those movies not necessarily doing as well as everyone would like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's also a conversation we had about just overuse of IP that maybe people just don't really care about Charlie's Angels anymore. Yeah, and that they weren't super excited to see that, despite maybe the the cast and the creators behind it being really special. There's also, you know, the fact that I don't think Elizabeth Banks has done herself a lot of favors by being super vocal about its lack of performance and, mm-hmm. and a bit of um. A negative way and, and it seems obnoxious to me to like point out her specifically because then it seems like i'm only criticizing the fact well, that I mean, but that that's what the news i mean like not only has she been the most vocal but that's what the news has been picking up yeah is talking about how she is this like loud voice i'm like no fuck you guys like yeah but you know i regardless male or female i also feel like directors shouldn't be necessarily jumping into those kind of conversations mm-hmm. i think it no one ever looks good coming out of that Um, you know, it's like, you can maybe become like, oh yeah, like it's disappointing, but I'm super proud of what we did. And maybe that's part of what she's saying and it's not part of what's getting picked up. But I feel like you just steer clear of that Mm -hmm. for the most part, because it's never going to betray you in a good light, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, which is sucks because I fucking love Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, me too. She's amazing. But okay. So it would you, is a movie you would recommend people go see? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you've seen everything else, (laughs) it's not like I, I think you should see it. I don't think you should prioritize it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, go see Knives Out first. Go see Frozen first. Go see Ford first, Ferrari first. Okay. Yeah, I do want to see all those things. Mm-hmm. Go okay. see Honey Boy first. Oh, is Honey Boy the Shia LaBeouf? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I've heard it's amazing. Mm, probably won't see and it's it. only at Arclight, which probably. is the other problem. Oh, yeah, I probably won't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I what I am hopeful will happen is that's going to get um, a nomination for something just so other theaters will pick it up for award season. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Okay. 
All right. Any other plugs for you? Uh, no. What have you been watching, listening, reading? Um, not much. Again, lack of time is always a problem. Uh, I, you know, I already mentioned it uh, earlier, but I'll mention it again here. Like, obviously, go check out the um, the the section "Black Heroes Matter" from DC Watchtower, Watchtower Database. Mm-hmm. I always say their name wrong. It's Watchtower Database, which will be in the show notes. Uh, and the other thing is, I've been reading a book called the Sedona method. It's literally sitting on the coffee table there in front of you. So I don't do well with nonfiction. I get bored. um, And I have a hard time just going to picking up, but this book is specifically kind of about um, kind of like learning how to accept our emotions and let them go. But it's also about acknowledging when we're being resistant to doing things like we don't want to do something. So we're like the roadblocks you put in our way and like trying to figure out how to let them go. And I'm not very far into it yet, but it's already been super helpful. And you know, I, I, without going into the details of it, my job right now is incredibly, incredibly stressful and very consuming. And so uh, it's just a book that I've been finding very helpful in terms of figuring out how to like deal with being really stressed out and anxious and frustrated and that sort of thing. And I found it super helpful. And actually it was a recognition from my dad who read it a few years ago and it's been really instrumental for him in terms of letting go of stress, which has been really fantastic to see that sort of like transformation happen. So it's, Odd that I'm out here plugging basically what's more or less a self-help book, but I actually genuinely find it helpful. And, I, I and plugged one a year ago. Did you? Yeah. Um, Silent. I think it, it was the book about like uh, if you're an oh, introvert, how to how to survive yeah. in America, and if you're an extrovert, how to deal with introverts. Yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Occasionally yeah. we have quiet. It's called quiet. Not that's it. Okay. Yeah. Quiet. Yeah, occasionally meaningful things, but no, it's um no, it's it's been very helpful. So it's something I recommend to people. It's good. Nice. Yeah, but I think that does it for us this week. So next week, we'll be talking about Disney+. Plus. Ha, ha, ha. I, can't, I give you a lot of patience for making it this far. Without, yeah. I mean, I can't really say that you made it this far. You've been plugging Disney+, Plus every week. This, Yeah, since, this is the week I've talked the least announced. about know, Disney. But, <laughs> but it's funny because I think you know. You know you have like a full conversation I coming know. down the pipeline to talk about it. Um, but yeah. I, I, I can't wait. Yeah, so we will be talking about that uh, next week. So, But thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, and we would love to hear comments, but especially questions. If you have just like fun, weird entertainment questions you want us to uh, to read out yeah. and answer as on the, the people podcast. With the people with their finger on the button of Hollywood, let us know your questions. Exactly, as, your uh, industry. as us outsider Hollywood insiders here. Hollywood yeah. insider outsiders? Yeah, I mean, we live in Hollywood. That's, yeah, that's, that's true, that yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we uh, would love to get those questions. You can find us at Tim Talk Bot on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. That's right. Yes. Uh, Cameron, where can they find you? Uh, you can see my face at camdexter underscore adventures and all of my Disney things uh, and my archived art page at cameron.dexter. Someday. Someday you'll bring it back. Yeah. I what believe, about you? I believe in you. Uh, you can find me at Lordifer on Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. I know, but uh, thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait, we forgot to do what? We have our normal Static Shock outro. We didn't even do it this week. I got Superhero Static Static Shock. Shock. Whoop, whoop.